0: That which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you. Ye shall also continue in the Son and in the Father. So, so God's people will keep believing. They'll keep trusting on Christ. They'll keep trusting Him. Again and again and again, no matter what we go through in life, no matter what comes. Let that therefore abide in you, which ye have heard from the beginning. In in, in If if that which ye have heard from the beginning shall remain in you, ye shall also continue in the Son and the And in the Father. And this is the promise that he had promised us. Even eternal life. And we know where eternal life is. It's only in Christ. It's nowhere else. These things have I written unto you concerning them that seduce you. But the anointing which ye have received, you're born again of the Holy Spirit of God, of him that abideth in you. And ye need not that any man teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you of all things, and is truth. And is no lie, and even as it hath taught you, ye shall abide in him. So the believer is taught by the Holy Spirit of God. Now I get up and preach and proclaim the gospel. But I'm I'm proclaiming what I've been taught in my study. And I'm proclaiming it to you and to whoever will listen. That's the truth. Now the Holy Spirit is the one who teaches us. He's the one who guides us what? Into all truth. Who's truth? The Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation in him, and in him alone. And in him alone. So we know, again, that any false teaching is antichrist. Pink believes that due to the fact that John is emphasizing the deity of Christ back in, back at, um, in, in verse 1 of, of, our, of, of this book, due to the fact that he's doing that, he's bringing out the deity of Christ, and we'll see that he brings out the deity and the humanity of Christ, that those spoken of here in John 2.19 may have been those who professed Christ, but, but proved, again, they were not of him. They were now Gnostics, who, as Pink said, taught that Christ's body was but a phantasm, a mere temporary appearance for the benefit of the world. And we'll look at that later on. There was two sets of Gnostics that were attacking the people that John was writing to, the believers that John was writing to. And we'll look at that later on. Now, we'll be moving slowly through this book. Uh, There's so much here before us in the first chapter alone, and and now we know also that the author of this epistle was John, the son of Zebedee, the one who survived all the other apostles. And again, this book was written to Christian believers. It's written to Christians, those who are trusting and resting in Christ alone. It's written to encourage us. It's written to encourage us in our in our assurance of salvation in Christ and him alone. It sets forth the gospel of God's grace in Christ alone and we will see that as we go through this book it sets that forth continuously it's written again to encourage fellowship one with another the scripture proclaims how can two walk together except they be agreed you can't walk with someone if you don't agree with them right and so this is this is also written to encourage fellowship one with another. We must guard the fellowship that we have here, beloved. We must guard it because the enemy of our souls will seek to destroy our fellowship. He'll seek to destroy the unity that we have here. And 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 he he we need to be on guard, beloved. We need to treasure the fellowship that we have one with another, because we know that our fellowship is in Christ, in Christ alone. Look at what's proclaimed in this first chapter. Look at verse, look at verse 3 of, of 1 John chapter 1. Look at verse 3. <coughs> that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that you also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. <coughs> also look at verses 6 and 7. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, what? We have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So let us remember again who is writing this epistle. Turn, if you would, to John chapter 13. Let us remember again who's writing this epistle. It's the Apostle John the one who's spoken of in the gospel of John is lying on on the breast of Christ. (coughs) And the Lord is talking about the fact that one of his disciples should betray him. Look in John chapter 13, verse 24 and 25. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Now, I want to bring forth what Brother Henry Mahan says on this verse. I thought it was very instructional about John lying on the bosom of Christ. He said, to understand this leaning on Jesus' bosom, one must understand the posture the Jews used at meals. John was not sitting in in a chair leaning over on Christ, which would have been too intimate and very uncomfortable. The Jews reclined at meals. They reclined at meals. And John was nearest to Christ, reclining on his side next to the Savior. John, and, and, and he leaned on, on the Lord and asked him, Lord, is it, who who is it? Who is it? Now, John never refers to himself by name in his books that he writes. And let's turn to John 19. We're look at that. We'll look at John 19, 20, and 21. Little portions here where we see that John does not refer to himself by name, but uses the statement as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Whenever you read that in the book of John, John, that's John That's John who wrote the book, but he never brings attention to himself. He simply says, he simply says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. Look at John 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciple standing by, whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. So that's speaking again, John the apostle. Now look over in chapter twenty, in verse two. Then she runneth and came, cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple, whom Jesus loved. Again, that's John, and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulchre, and we know not where they have laid him. Now turn to chapter twenty-one. In verses seven, or verse seven, and in verse twenty, verse seven. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, "It is the Lord." Now, when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he girt his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked, and did cast himself into the sea. Again, you see, therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved. Again, it's John. Then look at verse twenty. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following which also leaned up on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? So let us always remember that Christ, the Son of God, in surety of his people, loves all of his elect alike. Let us never forget that. He doesn't love one more than another. But we see here brought forth that as a man, he had a particular affection for John. Several commentators brought that out. And admitted him near his person, And more in his confidence. David is said to be a man after God's own heart in this very same manner. In the very same manner as the disciple whom, whom Jesus loved. Peter beckoned to John. We saw that in the text. Peter beckoned to John, who was so close to Christ in fellowship and position, that he should ask the Lord of whom he spake. And John accordingly said, Lord, who is it? Lord, who is it? And notice he called him Lord in that text too. He called him Lord. And John asked, Lord, who is it? Knowing that it is within every believer to be the one who betrays the Lord. Even within himself. He knows that. He knows that. We're all sinners, beloved. And we're all capable of all manner of sin. Even after we're saved. But oh, how wonderful is the grace of God in Christ. To show sinners what we are. And to lead us to Christ. To regenerate us. Born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And then we trust in Christ. We're still sinners, aren't we? But we're safe sinners. We're saved sinners. And we know we have found full forgiveness in and through Christ alone. And the shedding of his blood for the remission of his sins. I remember one preacher. I heard one preacher. And I had never heard this in religion. And I heard one preacher say... One grace preacher said this one time. He said, the only difference between me and people in prison is the grace of God. My, what a statement, eh? When we know who we are, we can make that statement, can't we? Oh, my, just the grace of God. Just the grace of God. So, with that in our minds, let's go back to our text in in 1 John. And let us consider this first wonderful verse in this epistle. This is an absolute wonderful verse. And remember, John's writing to Christians in general. And what does Paul do in in 1 Corinthians chapter 1? I've said it many times. He he, he just takes and points them to Christ. That's all he does, right off the bat. Just get get their minds focused on Christ. With that in mind, let's look at this verse. Look at this. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Notice that. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, remember who's writing this. It's John the Apostle. It's John the Apostle. He's going to bring forth here in a masterful way, of course, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, just who the Lord Jesus Christ is. In this first verse alone, we see the eternality of, of Christ, we, uh, who he is in eternity. We see the incarnation of the word, and we see the deity of Christ brought forth, all in this one verse, all in this one verse. The Lord Jesus Christ is brought before us, beloved, in a most glorious way. A most glorious way. Right away, John brings before us the glories of our Lord. Right away. No hesitation. Right away brings before us the glories of the Lord. We see this in this first verse. That the word of God who was in eternity became flesh. And he was heard and he was seen, beloved, by the apostles. The very one they have looked upon. The very one whom Christ laid his head upon. He who is called the word of life. The word of life. Why is he called that? Because all life comes from him. All life comes from him. Be it visible or invisible. All things were made by him and for him. And beloved by all things, by him, all things consist. He, we will see, is also life for his people because we have eternal life only through Christ. Nowhere else, nowhere else can is eternal life found. So let's break down this verse and pray that the Holy Spirit of God will illuminate it for us and that we might learn about our blessed Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. It starts, that which was from the beginning. John the Apostle, by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, Brings forth, beloved, the glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. The glories of the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that he's called the Holy One in Scripture. The Holy One. And that we also know that he is the sum and the substance of this whole book. Christ. It's all about him. I like when people say it's a hymn book, H-I-M. It's a hymn book. It's all about Christ. From beginning to end. So he's the sum and the substance of all revelation. And he is God incarnate in the flesh. beloved. That which was from the beginning refers to the deity and eternality of Christ. He existed from the beginning. Turn if you would to John chapter 1. Again we'll look at the gospel. Or be referring to that. The gospel that this apostle wrote. And we look at that in verses 1 and 2. We see this proclaimed by John. The same thing proclaimed by John in the Gospel of John. In the beginning was the Word. (coughs) And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. There's no wiggle room there. The Jehovah Witnesses, a false teacher, say, they put an, ah, God. No, the scriptures declare he's the Logos. He's God. He's God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So the apostle John is writing of he who has been from the beginning, from eternity, the Word equal with the Father and the Holy Spirit who appeared in human nature for the salvation of sinners. He being the perfect, spotless Lamb of God, it was he who was the great subject of which the Apostle wrote to his brethren. Look in John chapter 10. Beloved Jesus Christ is God, and the Scriptures declare him to be God. They declare him to be God. (coughs) <coughs> he declared himself to be God. Look at this in John chapter 10, verses 30 to 33. I and my father are one. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He's declaring what John wrote. Then the Jews took up stones and Again, to stone him. Jesus answered, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of these works do you stone me? The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee. Not, but for blasphemy, because thou, being a man, maketh thyself God. Little do they know, he was God incarnate in the flesh. Now I'll turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. We'll look at Verse 28. Verse 28. Scriptures declare that Christ is God. Look at this. Take heed therefore, verse 28, unto yourselves and to all the flock over which the Holy Ghost hath made you overseers. To what? To feed the church of God, which he hath purchased with his own blood. The Scriptures right there declare that God himself has purchased the church. (laughs) And God... The Lord Jesus Christ is God, incarnate in the flesh. Now turn if you would to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 19. And then we'll go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at this. To wit that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us. The word of reconciliation. How is a man reconciled with God? Only through Christ. The God man. It says right there. It says right there. To wit that God was in Christ. He's God incarnated in the flesh beloved. And this is what the scriptures declare. Reconciling the world unto himself. Not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now turn forward to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1. Look at verse 8. Look at this. Now, this just this is so clear here. Not, not that the, the other verses were so clear, too. They? But look at this. Look at this in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8. But unto the Son, he saith, Thy throne, O God, is forever. There it is. He's God, beloved. The Lord Jesus Christ is God incarnate in the flesh. Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. A scepter of righteousness is the scepter of thy kingdom. Our Lord rules in righteousness. He's the righteous one. He's the righteous one, beloved. And this is the one whom John is writing to the brethren about. Now let's go back to our text and we'll look at the next part of the verse. It says, Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon in our hands of handled. that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon and our hands have handled of the word of life. Now, John, in this same verse, is going to bring forth the incarnation right here of the word of God. Of the word of God. God himself and the fullness of a time appeared in human life. That's what John's bringing forth here, beloved. That's what he's bringing forth. Now remember who's writing this. Remember who's writing this. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved. This is the apostle John who walked with Christ. Who talked with Christ. Who laid his head upon him, beloved, beloved. John had an eyewitness report. An eyewitness report. When you read a book or an article by someone, I often like to read books on World War II and, and history books, and, and um, when you read an article by someone who's given you an eyewitness account, it always comes across in a different way. So if you're reading a book written by someone who was actually there, Oh, it comes across in a whole different manner than whether it's just a historian writing about it. I've often found that when I'm talking to veterans and talking to different people who actually have experienced things. And, and when you talk to them who have experienced these things, it is so much different than sometimes what's been written. Because a historian will just give you facts. But the people who were there are eyewitnesses. Are eyewitnesses. So here, the Apostle John has given us an eyewitness account of who Christ is. Remember the Gospel of John? It's written by the same Apostle that the Word of God became flesh. In the first chapter of John, the Scriptures declare this, and the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory. They saw it. Now remember when John writes and we beheld his glory, he was one of the three on the Mount of Transfiguration too. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father full of grace in truth. So when when John's writing this, you're not just getting some historic accounts. When he says, which we have heard, he heard him. Which, which we have seen with our eyes, he looked upon him below which we have looked upon and our hands have handled he he laid his head upon his breast. We're getting an eyewitness account. John is writing about the most glorious one, the word of God, the one who was God before the world was, and the one who, who always is and always has been God. The fact that he became incarnate in the fullness of time, that he became a man, and John lived in the days of Christ's incarnation, and he had the honor and the privilege to see Christ, to see the Messiah with his eyes. Now, we look by faith, don't we? But he saw him. Now, he looks by faith, too. He did He did while he was on earth, too. But, but he actually saw him. He saw him like we see one another. That's who's writing this. That's who's writing this book. He was favored to have communion with him, beloved. He was favored to to see him and to hear him and to, to lay his head upon him. And this was grace and glory inexpressible. Look at how our verse continues, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled. Again, John brings forth... These various terms of hearing, seeing, looking, handling. They're designed to express the reality, beloved, of the Lord's incarnation. They're they're used to to express the reality of the Lord's incarnation. The fact that he had a real body. That he was was a man. We know he's the God-man, but that he was a man. Fully God and yet fully human. And these are, these are the terms that he's We heard him, we saw him, we looked upon him, we handled him. Again, they're designed to express the reality of the Lord's incarnation. Fully God and yet fully man. So John brings forth the deity of Christ at the beginning of this verse. And now he's bringing forth the humanity of Christ. All in the same verse, beloved. It's magnificent. It's absolutely magnificent. He was made in all things like unto his brother, yet without sin. He is bone of our bone and flesh of our flesh. And he obeyed the law of God as a man, as the God-man. He obeyed the law of God perfectly for us. For us. He did that for us, which we could never do. Which we could never do. Now think of the relation of Christ to time. In the beginning, he's the eternal one. He's the word of God. Think of his relation to the Godhead. He was the one who was with God and the one who was God. The second person of the Trinity. Think of the relation to, of Christ to the universe. All things were made by him. He's, he's God. He's the creator. And think of the relation... Of Christ to men. He's, he's the life and life. He's the giver of life to all men. He gives us breath to breathe, doesn't he? And he supplies us with things. But then think of his relation to his blood-bought people. To the people that he purchased on Calvary's cross. He became a man and bled and died for them on Calvary's cross. He suffered for them. All the punishment that was due them. All the punishment that was that was supposed to be poured out upon us was poured out upon him the sinless sacrifice dying for sinners, the lamb of God, the just one dying for the unjust and again, let us always remember that reconciliation, fellowship with God for the believer only comes through Christ and Christ alone. The only way we are reconciled to God is in and through The Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we always say, you take Christ away from us, we have nothing. Absolutely nothing. And salvation must be in him and him alone. He's God. Only God could redeem my soul. And God becomes a man. And purchases my eternal soul on Calvary's cross with his precious blood. And every believer says, this is magnificent. This is wondrous that God would do that for me. He'd do that for me. Oh, my. So, again, John writes of him. He saw him and heard him and looked upon him and touched him. Now, now think of this, too. Now, this is where we're going to get into what he's combating also right away. Right away. He's combating an error in the church at this time. There were Gnostics who had risen up. Why brings forth that there were two groups during this time, and Pink thinks that, that those are the ones that, that we read of in John chapter two, or First John chapter two. Pink thinks that those are the ones who were of them and then or, or who left, because they were never really of the believers. They were never born again. But there was two groups during this time, I found out. Both groups had their own private opinions regarding the person of the Lord, the docetric gnostics. They denied his actual humanity. They argued that, that our Lord had only a seeming body, not a real physical body. Uh, these are the ones Pink mentioned in the quote here, earlier, like a like a phantom. Like a phantom. People actually believed. My the deception that that, that, that happens. And then, then the Cerinthian Gnostics distinguished themselves between The man in in the aeon of Christ that came on him at his baptism. They say it came upon him at his baptism and left on the cross. And and the the one who started this error. Supposed that Jesus had not been begotten by a virgin. But that he had been born of Joseph and Mary. So they denied the, the, the virgin birth of Christ. And that uh, as a son in all like, like manner to all the rest of men, he became more righteous and prudent and wise. That's what, that's what this, this guy believed. And then he believed that after the baptism that Christ descended um, into him. That he, they, so he believes he was just a normal man and that Christ actually came down and ascended into him. This is what people believed back then. And... Uh, um, that, he, that he descended and then he, then he ascended before Christ died on Calvary's cross. It is just utter foolishness. So do you see what, what John's combating? He's combating that error right away. And he's saying Christ is God. He was God in eternity. He's God when he's here on this earth. And he speaks of the incarnation again, the humanity to battle those Gnostic errors. And he's God right now as the mediator of his people. So he's he's directly combating error, just like Paul does. If you read Paul's epistles with the idea that Paul is constantly battling works-based salvation, you'll see it all through there. They exalt Christ. They exalt the work of Christ in Christ alone. And that's what every gospel preacher is to do. We are to proclaim that salvation is of the Lord, period. Nothing now. Nothing we do. We're simply receivers of this mercy and grace, beloved. Receivers of this. So both those views of Gnosticism were a direct attack upon the deity and humanity of Christ. They were a direct attack upon the sinlessness of Christ. So John is here bringing forth the truth of who the Lord Jesus Christ is. And remember again, he's giving us an eyewitness account, beloved. An eyewitness account. He's bringing here before us the fact. First of all, he's done the fact of Christ as God in eternity. Now he's brought forth the fact of the humanity of Christ, that he's God incarnate in the flesh. And remember that John speaks with confidence and delight of Christ's gracious familiarity with his people and having allowed them to hear and to see him And to look upon him. And that their hands have handled this word of life. What a privilege it was for him. What a privilege. Now let's consider what we see at the latter part of this verse. And we'll read verses 1 and 2 together. The fact that he is the word of life. beloved The word of life. That which was from the beginning. Which we have heard. Which we have seen with our eyes. (coughs) Which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled of the word of life. Look at verse 2. For the life was manifested. Manifested. And again, and we have seen it. John saw him. The word was manifested. The word of life was manifested. Who's the word of life? Christ. 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 He's the word of God. The word of life was manifested it says here for the life was manifested. And we have seen it and bear witness. They bear witness to him. They bear just like every believer bears witness of Christ. Oh, he's my savior. He's my lord. Look at this and show unto you that eternal life which was with the father and was manifest unto us. Eternal life only comes through Christ. Nowhere else. It only comes through Christ. The word of life was manifested, beloved. He's he's called that because he has life in himself. He's the author of all life, beloved. Physical and spiritual. He's the author of all life. All life. He's the one who came to restore spiritual life to his people. Why? Because we fell in Adam. We're physically alive in our natural state, but we're spiritually dead. Spiritually dead. And he restores. He restores those who are born dead in trespasses and sins. Those who have no hope, they're regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God, beloved. Regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. Restores spiritual life to his people. (coughs) Note, in the latter part of verse 1, Christ is identified as the word of life. Then John brings forth the fact, in verse 2, that this life was manifested. And how does he know about that? Because he's seen him, beloved, and he heard him, and he looked upon him. Again, we're getting an eyewitness account, beloved, an eyewitness account. And John adds that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us, These words here are so full of the purpose of God. Think of this, the purpose of God, which is in and through Christ Jesus our Lord. God purposed to save his people. And he purposed to save those people in eternity. So these words are so full of the purpose of God in Christ. And to show unto you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. God's people have revealed by the Holy Spirit, who Christ is. We have revealed to ourselves who we are and who he is, don't we? And we have manifested to us that eternal life is only in Christ, in Christ alone. The forgiveness of all our sins is only in Christ, in Christ alone. We have that manifested to us because we don't know in our natural state. We don't know that. There's none that seeketh after God. There's none that understandeth. No one knows unless God reveals it. And when God reveals it, Oh, my. Then we can't be quiet about it, can we? We can't be quiet about it. Oh, my. Oh, my. So eternal life, which was with the Father, was manifested to his people. Who but the eternal God can give eternal life? You ever thought of that? Who but the eternal God could give eternal life? No one else can give eternal life, can they? But the eternal God can. The the eternal God can. And who can that life come through to the people of God, but through the Word of God. So it can only come to us through God. It can only come to us from God, and it can only come to us through God. There's no other way. And then God must do a work in us. We're born again by the Holy Spirit of God. Just to sum it up, salvations of the Lord from beginning to end. And the planning and purpose of it all, And the execution of it all, beloved. Oh, it's all God. It's all him. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word of God. And John says, I saw him. And I heard him. And I looked upon him. My. he brings forth a similar statement about the Son of God becoming incarnate and the apostles who were eyewitnesses to it. Turn, if you would, to John chapter, John chapter 1, verse 14. John chapter 1, verse 14. John brings forth that the word of God, the Son of God, became incarnate and the apostle who was an eyewitness to this fact And having heard Christ and seen Christ, now bears witness of him, having been taught of God who Christ is. Look at this. For the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh. This speaks of the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because remember, at the beginning of this chapter, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now he's saying, and the Word became flesh. Remember John said, I seen Him, I heard Him, I looked upon Him. So, so in writing, what John's writing, again, he's combating that Gnostic error, right? Those, both those Gnostic errors we looked at. He's combating both those errors at once and saying Christ is, was a real man. He was a real man. He was God incarnated in the flesh. The Word was made flesh and what? and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, they saw him. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Our Lord, beloved, is full of grace and full of truth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me, he said. Only through Christ and Christ alone. Now take note what the Apostle John has done here. He has introduced to the church the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's just set him right before us, beloved, in this verse. And he, he's just magnifying who Christ is—the glorious person of the Lord Jesus Christ, the God-Man Mediator. And I would say he's done this in the most excellent way, hasn't he? <laughs> it's magnificent. It's magnificent. He talks about his eternality. He speaks of his incarnation. And then he speaks of who he is, the word of life. And that eternal life is only in and through Christ, in Christ alone. And he says, I saw him. I heard him. I looked upon him and and I handled him. He laid his head upon him. Oh, my. Oh, my. Next week, we we will see John proceed to state the motives for which he writes to the Lord's people. May God be glorified through the preaching of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Heavenly Father, again we thank Thee for allowing us to gather together. We thank Thee for this wonderful epistle which we can look, look, which we've looked at tonight. Oh Lord, how it magnifies You! How the Holy Spirit had John write by inspiration and and just uplift You in a most excellent way, a most glorious way. Oh Lord, we pray that we would leave here this week, that we would think upon these wonderful truths that we've looked at tonight, and that they would bless the souls of Your people, O oh Lord. We love you and praise you because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.